Welcome to Ladies Love Crypto with your hosts, DJ Skis and Dr. Gabriel. Welcome to episode three of Ladies Love Crypto with your hosts, DJ Skis and Dr. Gabriel. Today's awesome guest, Nate Talbot here from... Uh, from the local Detroit area, you are the executive director of Detroit Blockchain Center. That is true. <laughs> so we were going over Nate's bio before we started here, and I was saying that he's got one of the more interesting bios I've read of anybody in the blockchain kind of technology community, so we're going to let him kind of shape, uh, shape his bio, but you have 17 years of experience in uh in lots of different things, including marketing, intellectual property rights, creative contracting, and you're a full-stack web developer business strategist. Yeah, that's that's some of it. <laughs> some that's, of it. Right. We're just, <laughs> what is that, the first layer of the onion? We're just getting started we're peeling, pe- peeling back. this back? That's closer to the topper. Top. Uh, that's the top. top okay. Layer. Yeah. So then um, I want to know more about your all this, uh, your background in music and TV, even. Yeah. Okay. You co-created and produced a top-rated, nationally syndicated television show that aired on networks like UB, or WB and UPN. Yes, this is all true. Can you say what show it was? Uh, the name of the show was Switch Play TV. And okay. It was a, uh, it's a video comedy show. The way our, our elevator pitch is take Saturday Night Live and Yo! MTV raps and put them together. And if they had a baby, that would be us. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, okay. When did that air? Ooh, that started, our first episode was like February of 2000 or so. And then we ran all the way up through 2008, 2007 or 2008. It like you said, my background was really in music. So from um, about 16 or so, I started DJing. Um, and I did that until I got into music production. And Where I were you DJing at 16? Yeah. You had told us earlier that you grew up in Syracuse. In New York, yeah. right? So when I was like 14, I went to my brother's like 18th birthday party. And he f- was fiddling with DJ stuff. And that's when I really first got to really see it. And so, uh, you know, it was sort of on him about teaching me. And then he went off to uh, the Air Force and just gave me all his stuff. His, his 1200s? Um, <laughs> nice. No, I don't records? even think he had 1200s. He had, like, some Gemini something. Nice. And, like, a Radio Shack mixer. Wow. <laughs> like, not I even a crossfader. It. it was a switch. So when mm. I learned to cut, I had yeah. to use the switch, you know. Nice. Um, but, yeah, I started DJing and did that while playing around with producing my little keyboard and, you know, the old stories, you know, you'll, you'll play a loop into the tape recorder and then the double-head tape cassette and then play the loop back while you layer on top of that and rewind and replay and just keep looping back and forth between cassette tapes. Yeah, it's like the, the yeah. pause. Yeah, tape, yeah. tape method. Yeah, just way back when you had tapes and records, right? And that was new, uh, new technology. Um, so I went from DJing to producing in the mid-90s, right before I came to college. I went to uh, University of Detroit Mercy, which is how I ended up in Detroit. Okay. Um, and I was DJing there at uh, a lot of the school events and functions and whatnot. Uh, and then after a year of school there, I started going around to all the studios in the area, like, look, I'll sweep your floors or nice. make you coffee or do yeah. whatever. Just show me, like, teach me really how to produce. And mm-hmm. 
of course, no, nobody nobody wanted to do that. <laughs> but I did find one Man. studio. So like, um, I did find one studio who happened to have this guy AJ, who was one of like Aretha Franklin and uh, um, uh, P Funk's engineer. He was there, what? but he also worked at the small basement studio. And right. back then, a small basement studio was still a $400,000 studio. Right. Right? Um, I was going to say, Detroit never played around. Yeah. No, <laughs> not at all. But you couldn't even do like what you do now. Like, lap, people didn't even have laptops, let alone a laptop studio. Right. Like, your small basement all the studio analog. still had That's a huge equipment. analog. We had a mm-hmm. two-inch reel tape in there. But although the main studio I went to where he used to work the disc... Um, so that's didn't where, want to talk so to that's me. where magnetic who when i give a shout out to mags that's yeah. where he still works that's what's up yeah. yeah um but the studio the basement studio he worked part-time and he was there and he was like yeah sure and he taught me how to engineer and stuff that's awesome um wow. so i learned how to engineer there yeah because it also says you worked in directly in the music industry right. closing multi-million dollar deals well after my years of engineering <laughs> and producing and picking up things i'm a i'm i'm rare rare in the sense that I like to read contracts and stuff. Like when I was 18, mm-hmm. I was getting big legal books. My mom worked in a law firm. She wouldn't look. She was a paralegal, but mm-hmm. I'd go through the books and read and compare contracts and terms and all that. I just enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So nerd from day one. Join the club. So, Hello. Right. Yep. So as we uh, move forward, as, we, as I did stuff, I understood the contracts and everything. I understood the business to the point where I was negotiating most of the things we were doing, like with the TV show and our uh, the deals we worked out. I would review the contracts and go over, and then other people would come and they'd have deals and didn't want to pay lawyers and you mm-hmm. know ask me to look something over. I'd look it over and give my opinion. Always told them I'm not a lawyer. Always told them they should go okay. get law. Disclosure. Yeah, full disclosures <laughs> all the time. And still to this day, I'm not a lawyer. I don't give out legal advice. Right. 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 Did you ever um, consider it? Like, entertainment law almost sounds like what you... Yeah. It did, but I was too much into the entertainment part. Right. And then, so I worked as a consultant, and that's sort of how I built up into where I said, like, the top layer stuff with IP and creative contracting is. With my stuff and a lot of other people came in, I ended up working with a lot of managers, um, labels, who were, like, working with their lawyers, and I sort of became their, their consultant, their entertainment consultant. Because right. what right. I found was... You know, lawyers know the law. Well, some lawyers know the law, sure. right? <laughs> right? And the same some thing happened with, like, the know. accounting departments. And so everything they look at right. is through that sort of viewpoint. Right. And so what I did, I knew my business. And I knew IP. I knew understand contract, uh, copyrights, trademarks, which is really all the entertainment business is all about. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I sort of uh, sharpened my tools and got into the consulting aspect and eventually I just grew that out of entertainment and because people started coming like well they might have a label or something but they also wanted to open up a store or do something else Mm, and so I just slowly just merged out and once you sort of understand the basics of you know uh, work for hire agreements or subcontractor agreements it partially flows over so I just started consulting and all that and becoming people's bridge between their professional team so like uh the last um one of the last deals I did, you know, I worked with the the group's management. I worked I got found them a lawyer. I worked with the lawyer. We we negotiated all the negotiations right. sort of went through me, but I was able to get everybody happy and be able to communicate what everybody was trying to do right. because I knew all aspects. I understood what the lawyers were talking about and where they were coming from. Yeah. But I also understood what the artists were saying. 
for sure. Um, and then the same thing just happens with business. And that's how I ended up being just a general consultant after I sort of retired from the music business. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. So that brings us to kind of the third layer of your bio, which is that you are the executive director of Detroit Blockchain Center, which we've mentioned uh, in previous episodes. Yeah. And so it's a leading blockchain incubator in Southeast Michigan. Its mission is to help individuals, schools, universities, small business, corporations, non-for-profits, charities, community leaders, and all areas of local, federal, and foreign governments to better understand blockchain technology and unite these organizations attract and encourage outside investments into blockchain businesses within Metro Detroit and create opportunities for area blockchain startups, which is amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so tell us how you get into that from all your other previous uh, experiences yeah. and jobs. So in the mix of that, on my last uh, uh, my last bid in the entertainment, like solely focused on entertainment, um, what years are we talking yeah. here? Because we end of 2013, 2014. Okay. Oh, like the dawn of Bitcoin then. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> the release did you, of the did, white Were paper. you familiar with Bitcoin at that point? Not yet. This is how I became familiar. Okay. One of our stops was at, in New York, right in New York City. And one of my peoples were there. So while we were there between radio interviews, um, I met up with him and he was just talking. And we were just talking about everything else besides he used to work with me on the TV show. He's like, yeah, me and this other guy, we're talking about starting a Bitcoin uh, farm, you know. And like mining. a mining. Like farm. a mining, yeah. 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 Okay. And so, like, I slightly heard a bit about Bitcoin, but I wasn't really up to it. And I was really, at that point, I was still in the entertainment. I didn't think this Maybe was, like, my last Maybe somebody sort of dropped around. the term in a song right. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I got it was, like, a currency thing, but it was, like, all right, another online currency thing. And I was like, yeah. And I looked at it more like Minecraft than I looked at it as a... You like know, gamer. money. Right, right, right. right. So like, yeah, we can, I'd be down with that. Sure, whatever, we'll talk about it. <laughs> right? And then we just got into other conversations. And then it just so happened, like maybe a couple months later, a few other people um, brought it up. So I had got some. They didn't know how to get some. And they're trying to figure out how you get it. And so I figured out how to get it because, again, nerd from day one. Mm-hmm. Well, back then it wasn't yeah. as easy. It wasn't like easy. It was just, you know, big coin base yeah. exchanges and stuff like that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People think it's hard now. Right. Right. But, uh, <laughs> right. Um, so we got it, but I didn't. I still didn't. I was no white paper, you know, enthusiast, and I didn't even understand the, the, the financial aspects, how you could buy stuff. So we got some so people could buy stuff. Um, and then it was like 2000, so that was like 2014. Hold on. So like buy stuff. What? Yeah, like... Which sounds so generic, but um, back then, just kind of give us uh, give the oh, listeners you know, like, an idea of like what like you could what, buy with yeah. Bitcoin, like pizzas and stuff. Right. right? So people yeah. know that that back then you were people were paying like three or four Bitcoin for a pizza, right? Right. They were Bitcoin paying like was ten thousand Bitcoin. Bitcoin was like worth well when the pizza when the pizza cents. deal they talked about. <laughs> yeah, it was like like a penny or something. You know, fifteen cents. Can you imagine if that um, pizza like if that what? pizza store whoever delivered it for you was like just sat on those. Just sat on those coins. I mean, there are people that literally do that. Yeah, they did. And then sat on it all the way to the the trash heap. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, by the time I got really serious into it, though, Bitcoin was like at around 200, 250. It had just come down from the $1,000, the big bubble, and it died because it was down to $200 now, Mm -hmm. right? So it was over with, but that's when we were getting it. And it wasn't until it hit around 450 when I started to like, it started to click. Like, wait a minute. Like, we're getting it and using it. Like, right. Why aren't we getting it and, like, holding on to it? Like, what are right, we thinking? as a store of value. Right. right. 
And that's when I started getting into like the swing trading aspect. So I started, sort of started as a swing trader. And this is all still a side thing, right? This is all just yeah. nerdy stuff. Like yeah. you never were into yeah. stocks or like trading in no, that way. I'm not no, not one of the finance guys who got into it. I was an entertainment sure. industry and you know contract dude. Right. Um, but then when I got into the swing trading, I started looking into more, and I fell into the rabbit hole. Um, it is a rabbit, rabbit hole. hole. P.S. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's when I started like, oh wait, this could actually like do stuff, right? Right. And that's when you start finding out. Of course, the next thing is after Bitcoin, you start finding out about Ethereum, right? Um, and you just start finding all these different things going on. By around two thousand, spring two thousand seventeen, businesses and things were starting to talk about it because this was just the very beginning of that big um, boom we saw then, right? And so I decided to take part of my consulting business. And consult on Bitcoin, see about people wanting to use Bitcoin. IBM was really starting to get in, into the game back around that time right? with the Hyperledger, their version of the mm-hmm. Hyperledger and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as I speak, as I represent Detroit Blockchain Center, we're a very chain agnostic, right? If, if you're a distributed ledger technology, it doesn't even have to be a blockchain necessarily, um, you know, we support that. Personally, I'm and can you kind of explain for yeah. our listeners, because, again, we, we get a lot of kind of rookie and newbies listening, right. um, just what that definition of the le- of that type of ledger. Distributed ledger, ledger. Distributed, ledger. Distributed ledger yeah. technology. Yep. So blockchain is, you know, at its core, it's literally just a database. Like, it's nothing else. It's one database. Well, so it's one database that gets fold and then gets encrypted and then uh, linked to another database so you mm-hmm. have a chain of databases right mm-hmm. a chain of blocks blockchain but to use them you know what makes bitcoin sort of powerful is you have the entire chain so it sort of verifies all the way back to the gem- the genesis block the very first block there are other types of distributed ledgers besides a blockchain like uh hashgraph is working on one iota has their own sort of chain um uh, so many coins. I, like, <laughs> I know Neo. Neo, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot that use different types of um, database linking structures. Right. So not all of them are blockchains, right? So as an organization, we support any of those. If you're it's in the, the same, space, yeah, because they all have the well same ported, general. Yeah. On paper, they all have the same general mission, which is uh, a widely spread out peer to peer censorship resistant network. Right. right. And that's what we care about, you know, right. peer-to-peer censorship-resistant network. Right. So as long as you're that, we support those. But me personally, I'm into the full, whether it's private or public. Me personally, though, I'm into a very public, open-sourced, um, so far blockchain-structured only. I haven't found one that I was convinced about outside of that. Mm-hmm. And so as a consultant, you know, I didn't just try to sell companies on like hey let's just do this and pay me Mm -hmm. Um, so i set up three tiers right they would pay me a small fee to come in and sort of do an audit of their business to see where they could use blockchain Mm -hmm. um phase two would have been coming in and sort of uh designing a structure for them and then phase three would have been if they wanted it we would oversee the entire process and evolution of it. So for a business that was mm-hmm. fully committed, it might be like a three- to five-year project for them. Of course. Right? Yeah. Um, I talked to every client I had out of it, out of blockchain. 
and I started wearing that as a badge of honor because why is yeah why is that I'm like I would yes. I would see that Some as like something to bring people into right yeah. you you bring people into that well, so no, why would you talk people away from it because they look at it like QuickBooks give me this cool new technology I'll throw it into the stack we already have going on and it's not oh, that right? right it's a it can be that this is sort of the the IBM Hyperledger aspect like do business as usual but a little bit better mm-hmm. and I'm more of the approach of fundamentally change what you think your business is uh, right okay. and yep. if you're not going to do that just go get a database you can get a linked database mm-hmm. is that where that argument comes from from a lot of people like oh what does it do that you know a regular database can do and they're right nothing so yeah can you give our exa- our listeners an example of what that private like a private coin or a private uh, enterprise would look like private built on top of a public one Correct. network yeah um no, I can't give you a working example, but I can give you a, a theoretical Hi, example. Yeah, hypothetical so theoretical example. Would be fine. Let's take Ford, for example. They're going to have a lot of agreements. They're going to have a lot of things they're not going to want to put necessarily on a public chain, right? Even though it can get encrypted and you know people might not just see anything but random numbers. But if they're going to build a full network from where the iron ore gets you know, mined from all the way up through the end product inside of a car, they could build that main system on top of, let's say, Ethereum, right? Mm-hmm. And then they can handle some of their private accounting, some of the contracts, some of the smart right. contract things between the agreements between some of these companies. Those can be on more private or permissioned, at least, networks. Mm-hmm. And then the companies involved and the regulators that you would need would have access to those. But right. there's no reason we as a general public need to know the business contract in a private company. Right. 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 And the supply chain aspect, we definitely might want to know. Right. Exactly. That's a really great example. Um, And there aren't any, you said there's not any companies really, I mean, they might be exploring that. No of them. So there might be somebody who's building those kind of systems. Because those companies tend to do like the JP Morgan example of just like starting their own. Right. Right. But again, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense versus (laughs) if you took, Let's say you got Ford, GM, Chrysler, Hyundai, and, you know, uh, Toyota, like seven or eight of the major car manufacturers together. Mm -hmm. And they worked on a network that was, again, built corely on a public um, permissionless network. But then certain aspects of it were permissioned off for regulation and for their intercommunication. But the parts that are important to the public... Again, like knowing, like the, uh, what was that, the staccata or whatever, the airbag? Takata, Takata, yeah. Takata. <laughs> I work in automotive, so I'm very, <laughs> and in go. risk analysis, so. Right. Well, so so those like kind of things one. should all be <laughs> right. public, right? Right, exactly. Be, if it was a public chain and trackable, we could all see it and there would be no question. Right. I don't need to know their agreement on how many units they're going to sell one for what yeah, price. Yeah, that right. makes a lot that of sense. That can be private. Right. You know. For sure. Yeah, it's a great example. So you're kind of throwing out um, a few terms that might be somewhat new to our listeners. And that's yes. what people have kind of have mentioned that just a, going a little more in depth in that. So you keep um, using the word smart contracts. Can you kind of explain that a little more in basic so terms? Smart contracts are just so we know what blockchain is. Right. It's just mm-hmm. a, a ledger of information linked together, a bunch of databases linked together. So a smart contract, instead of it just being a certain information like Alice sent Bob money, it would be like uh, you would write a code. It's just a code. So instead of saying Alice sent Bob X amount, it might say 
Alice will send Bob X amount as long as Bob submits this information by this date. Right. So you just built a if-then contract. Right. Got and that's logic. all a smart contract is. It's a very com- they can be very complex. And it might involve a lot systems. of different parties, a lot of different right. variables. And a lot of different smart contracts because that logic, so it's like this one co- smart contract triggers another smart contract, which triggers another smart right. contract, and that's where you start getting the dApps, the decentralized applications on top mm-hmm. of it. Um, they're and pretty I, chaining together all these dApps. Right, and I think that's when, um, if I go to other you know conferences or even just other events where blockchain might not be the center of the conversation. For instance, I was at a social entrepreneur, um, social impact conference at Wayne State where you know, you're talking about even just starting like a co-op. Uh, a grocery store co-op, but yeah. you have to figure out, you know, you have you at the very beginning, you have a matrix type system that determines what kind of co-op you want to start. So it might right. be worker owned, it might be product owned, you know, whatever. Right. They were explaining how, you know, you have these ca- this capital and the percentages and how the workers get paid, and then there's all these other, and that started to sound like if and or yeah. statements, and you're like, exactly. this could be definitely improved by just like putting it using on. a smart <laughs> contract. and that's what traditional contracts. I mean. And, like, there's open law, which is built on Ethereum, which is, you know, it's, it's regular contracts are generally if-then statements, right? right. Yeah. Um, and it, my experience, again, is entertainment, which is sort of why one of the things that drew, drew me into this, because we would have an agreement like, well, as an artist, you haven't proved anything, so we're not really, you don't get any money yet. We might give you a little money up front, right. but we're going to take all that back from potential future sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the, the, the Elm we sell to the distributor, if they're able to sell it to a retailer who is then able to sell it to a consumer and right. that consumer doesn't return it, so the retailer doesn't consider it to return, all these conditions aren't met, then we'll pay you. It's just a giant if-then statement. Right. So right. you could automate that because the problem with that is, like in the music industry, you're waiting something like 18 months or more to get a payment. That's a big part of the reason why I'm very interested in blockchain as a DJ and someone who produces. And uh, we're here in Nick Speed's awesome studio in the Penobscot building. Um, And and Nick can tell you as well that, what was that, about a year ago, Nick, that I was in here and you were helping me with like my Ableton and my, yeah, and my machine. I had gotten some Mm -hmm. new equipment and he was kind of showing me the ropes. And I, it was kind of right when I was diving in and like really diving in and I was telling him about steam and I was like, so it's basically like you post stuff and you get like, you get like upvotes and then that's how you like uh, make money. Basically, it's almost like a (laughs) Facebook, you know, just trying to explain it to him. And I was like, but what I'm really interested in is to put music and for producers and, um, you know, and artists to get paid more directly. Do you do you look into any of the music? Because there's so like many of them, too. There's like there's so many different music coins I stumble upon or 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 those type of, um, you know, putting actual songs and artists on blockchain. I do. I'm not really again as a, on a personal aspect. I'm not really for most of them because I'm not really for a system of a billion coins. Right, where everybody has a coin for something that all has like to the do five thousand all coins right. that are out exactly. in the right. market right now. Yeah, yeah, that just came out like yesterday, right? Um, <laughs> right. The uh, if you go to a coin market app and see how many coins are listed, it's, it's mind insane. blowing. That's, it's like how many pot coins there are, how many music coins there are, how many deeds for like real estate coins right. and yeah. internet sharing and like finding the one that speaks to you or the one that'll be the Google of them all or whatever is right. like impossible. <laughs> Yeah, and, and this probably get me in trouble with the the hardcore, you know, blockchain crowd. But I'm not 
anti-establishment, right? Or I'm not anti. Uh, Centralization. Like Centralization. Well, no, I'm very, I'm very anti-centralization. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. Um, I think there's there's a legit place for I don't know why the word like anti-government, like anti or like structure. Oh, I'm not anti-institution. There's the word anti-institution. I do think they need to. I think there was a purpose for them. I think people have gotten them. People have gotten to the point where they're sloppy, and have turned into the opposite of what they were supposed to be. Mm. But I think this technology allows you to unlock things. So, like music publishing, I'm not like let's get rid of like BMI and ASCAP or let's okay. get rid of um, any of the big publishers. You know, Sony Publishing. I'm like let's change the way they do business, right? Mm-hmm. Because people still artists are still artists. Just because right. it's not a smart contract doesn't make them any better at, better at business or more interested in doing business. Right. They want to be in the studio performing or on stage performing or doing artist stuff, right? Right. So I'm, it doesn't make sense for to put us put it all on them. But let's build a system where now, when a songwriter and an artist make something, and that something becomes um, profitable. The payment goes right to them. When it plays on Spotify, we shouldn't have to wait twelve months exactly. right. for you to get paid. Or so the fact that a play or you less. get yeah, you have to have like a million plays before you get ten bucks in the mail. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. But that's because there's so many people to pay along the pipeline. Again, sure. from my past experience, I've worked on behalf of labels and in companies before, as well as on behalf of artists and producers and stuff. For some of the things, I get why they're in place. But we don't need that anymore. I don't need well, that's every the single thing person is, around a way to audit. Right. So, so many people auditing. have taken their careers. I, I get what you're saying in that. This is interesting because I now knowing you have a much more extensive background in music and contracts. Right. Um, I kind of want to shift this conversation to well, that yeah, because it's really interesting. Yeah. But in in that, like we also with the amount of apps and the access to the internet everybody has that artists have taken a lot more of that into their hands as much as we do just want to be in the studio working or Mm -hmm. showing up for the gig and playing um so many artists have started their own smaller labels and have uh or or control their own you know their band camps and with sound clouds and the different platforms that um there aren't as many of those people that you have to pay down the pipeline so i think if um, if something did come out that was easier for an artist, I mean, I think there are a lot of artists out there that would like to explore mm-hmm. that faster payment and maybe not paying as many people as a Spotify or a title or you know right. the, the ones above it. So yeah, yeah. but it's, it's non. It's but it's also you know the power in the industry in the in the music industry and really in any industry is there's that that gateway and the gateway going in. Is some BS, right? Everything you mm. used to have to get through to get the contract. Exactly. This this person who may know know nothing gets to decide if you're the next hot thing or not, right? Right. So yeah, that can be a lot of BS. But pipelining it out to a network of consumers, that's a very good thing because they have this huge wide network. Right. Like, you know, you go through Universal. I think they still probably own a good sixty percent of the music. Right. Share unless Disney has taken that over too. Right? <laughs> um, Disney, right? We have to um, be real about that. The problem with even like with the Spotify's now, and you got Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, all, so all the different right. networks. Right. On top of the YouTube's, on top right. of if you go into the crypto space, all these different coins is you're fracturing the fan base. How do you get all these 
potential right. listeners. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, even in the podcast world, there's right. like 10 different or well, right. 20, 30 some yeah. different podcasting hosting sites and where do you find them exactly. and Google Play is and, and who's yeah. the best. And you yeah. got one option and you really end up with one option. You end up as a creator, you end up having to go to an aggregator mm-hmm. who's going to grab all this data, all these mm-hmm. podcasts, right. let's say, and then it's going to pipe it out to all these podcast distribution networks, but it's still a fractionalized system. Right, right. right? Versus, and this is why I'm sort of not with all these fractionalized coins, mm-hmm. versus you take some of the core players, let's stick with like Universal for now, you convince them, which probably won't happen, but you convince mm-hmm. them to change their <laughs> fundamental business model. Right. Right. They still have that pipeline. And now you as a creator can pipeline through Universal to their network of potential listeners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you get what we get rid of is that whole chain of custody where a you're giving up all your copyright stuff right because the cost of everything goes up so high right you know i i told people back in as a consultant i was telling people in 2003 like why do you want to be a label all these people come to me i need to set up a label i was like i'll do it for you but i don't know why right universal sony rca all these they don't want to be labels they're getting their artists to be this is where i they had those imprint deals. This is why oh, all yeah. these artists were getting labels. Right. Because the labels were just going to turn into distribution companies or right. aggregators. And then I can have you as an artist, you go follow Aggr- this you're artist. Paying it. You're, you get you're the doing artist your into A&R. the studio. Yeah. You get the artist to get this album. You're paying for Come the video. Come to us right. and we'll pipe it out. Exactly. If they don't want to do it and they're making millions doing it. Yeah, but that's a little different than starting your own label independently, correct? Right. Well, as independently, but no, no, because you you're still have to doing find the same a distributor. thing. You're okay. the one. What people think a label is just like with anything. What you think this career thing is and what it really is. <laughs> you know, kid wants to grow up and be in the NBA. Like you think you're just going to go out and play games, but really you spend ninety percent of your time in practice and working out. Right. 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 It's not right. what you it's see not on the TV. Same thing. It's the same thing with entertainment. It's the same thing with everything. And what they were structuring, they like, I want to be a label, but we're able to structuring really is an entertainment empire, right? Right. Where you're going to be this manager and agent and producer, and you're going to find all the music in the studio, and you're not just being a label. So why are you you structuring a label, right? Hmm. Um, And then it's the artist doing it, and I think artists should have their own labels, but again, it's all how you structure it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So could you see, I mean, could you see there being a use for it in the future? I see there being a use for it now. It's just how you do it. How Again, does I think it, it's yeah. better to have this network where, where again, an artist isn't building an entire network. Out right, like own. jump on Ethereum or get on something that's well, already get on something established. That's out there. One of these yeah. coins, one of these side coins are going to do something. They need to do it in a fashion where... You're adopting everybody. It's not everybody competing for these little niche pockets. Correct. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And there is, that's, I mean, there's a lot to be said about how watered down it gets. Right. When you can't, I mean, even like I just said, if I were to ask an artist, like, hey, do you want to put your music on this, uh, you know, in this blockchain on this D app, um, but there's 20, 30 of them. How are people even going to find like, it? Like, right. Yeah. How are they going to find it? And how does the artist make money? I've had artists ask me, like, hey, I want to get on. Can you put me on the, that Bitcoin music thing? I'm like. Is there a coin just called yeah. straight up Bitcoin music? Maybe. Who knows? It's there might be. as of today. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it's on it's air. On it's good. on air. It's a, it's <laughs> a wrap. Um, but, yeah. 
you're right. They should be able to just like hop on and know they have a full network like YouTube provides people. Right. Or, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Without the YouTube, without the Google. Right. right. The difference between proof of work versus proof of stake mm-hmm. is kind of something that right. I think we tapped on in episode two with Ingrid about just, you know, the amount of miners that are out there that are using electricity. And like, obviously, she was stating how it's kind of in the early stages. So. Let's give it a chance to maybe do something more renewable as opposed to like going back to the antiquated ideas of actual mining of golds and backing things right. and that kind of standard. Uh, can you just kind of break down those terms for our listeners? Yeah. First things first. Well, so <laughs> first things first. To, to proof of anything is just that was sort of the revolutionary part of Bitcoin. Right. right? It's if you're going to use money, which is the easiest example to use, if you're going to use money, how can you verify how can you as a receiver of money know that what i'm giving you i'm not just copy and pasting and giving to everybody right because right? mm-hmm. now that means there's no value in the money i'm just copying and pa- copy and or like running it through that's an actual copier right. and then like right. passing it yeah, around so that's right. literally how do you know i'm not doing that so that's what right. proof of work without getting into what proof of work does that's what it it does right that's its purpose and proof of stake and proof of anything that's what it's for right the electri- the electricity thing, I think, was more of a, a, a FUD campaign because... Explain FUD. Yeah, FUD. FUD, so uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You know, Which is a very like, common right. term in, in the crypto sphere. Right, yeah. right. Um, and in finance, and, really. Correct, right. Um, okay, so Bitcoin takes a lot of energy. Some of the last reports I saw were showing some of the biggest mining things already are on, built on renewable energy sources. Mm. So they're not using... Antiqu- uh, antiquated yeah. methods. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, okay, Bitcoin uses, you know, what do they say? It's using more energy than Greenland. But what do you think right. your fiat system, the money system, right. is using? No, it might not take as much to print an actual dollar, but now you're doing funny accounting. Right. Because how much right. does it cost right. in staffing the, the printing press mm-hmm. where you make the dollars? Shipping that money out to the banks, all the ATM fees, right. all the the armed armored trucks going back and forth, right? All the electricity, and same with ATMs credit cards running, or anything well, else. Running the yeah. credit card right. system and all this—that's all. That's not money they include into that. Bitcoin costs too much compared to traditional right. systems. Traditional. Once you do that, Bitcoin is using almost no energy comparatively, right? Hmm. You know? Because yeah. there's not a big, a, a, as big there's of a no system. There's no network. Literally, right. all we're doing is mining, and that's it. it. Right. We're right. not. You don't have to drive to the mining farm every day. Right. Wasn't there, a, bit, wasn't there the, a moment or, right. a, or a time though when um, the parts for the miners, like people couldn't even get them anymore, and it was, and it well, it came up in the gaming community because hmm. they use kind of some of the similar, some same parts. Well, yeah, um, the GPUs and stuff, but that's technology. You know, it was demand. It was a uh, sure. They were, I don't want to say they were ever really cheap, but they weren't as expensive. And then gaming became huge, especially right. uh, PC gaming compared to console. And so there was already a sort of high demand on these right. units. And then when you had the miners coming along, you know, company is only going to produce what they think they can sell. Right. And they, you know, bigger companies like Intel and all these huge companies are only producing so many of these things. Right. And they have a, like a six-year plan. So all of a sudden there's a quadruple in supply they could either manufacture a whole bunch more hoping this demand lasts right or they can keep supply low and just quadruple the cost sure and make a bunch of money but mine at least for bitcoin mining in bitcoin is 
I mean, you know, it's it's dwindling now. It's meaning well, meaning it you have to mine a lot longer to earn, actually get earn well, because Bitcoin. that's part of the proof of work the pr- concept. It gets right. the more miners there are, you, you know, for proof of work you have to solve a puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. The more miners there are, the harder the puzzle gets. Right. And so there's a lot of people in 2017 was like bitcoin that's it so they all went and got mining so of course the puzzle got really really hard mm-hmm. and it only i can't remember the exact time but it's like a couple weeks when it adjusts itself on how hard that puzzle is so if we got down to like eight miners that wouldn't be great for the security of the network but the puzzle would go so <laughs> simple you could do it on a laptop again right right you know what i mean and now you don't some, need those expensive. some coins even have like mining capabilities through phones right like you leave your not for bitcoin but yeah for no. like the definitely yeah, other there's like no yeah. Um, some other coins that use proof of work and you know to avoid that bitcoin problem they've they intentionally designed the code where it won't work on those mining rigs gotcha so Mm -hmm. average people can still mine right Right. so another term we've thrown around that uh you have some experience in as well is the hackathon um this idea Mm -hmm. and then uh, you know kind of touch on the detroit hackathons that you've held or any upcoming events that you have going on yeah well we haven't officially held any hackathons but we are in talks to do oh you had the pitch fest we had the pitch fest fest. yeah Yeah. um but we are talking about doing some hackathons and for those who don't know a hackathon it's just when a bunch of programmers get together and try to build something really really quick they're not worried about the 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 finesse of the code as much as make it work. So I actually have never been to a hackathon, but my understanding is it also pits people that would maybe know about the problem, but not necessarily be a programmer as well. Is that true? Well, that's partially it. So some of the earlier examples, let's take Facebook because a lot of Facebook was built via hackathon. Okay. You have your traditional Facebook, which was just what people know is on their timeline. You post on their timeline and stuff. And then they were like, well, man, it's cool to have the timeline communication, but what if we, we could build in an uh, uh, instant messenger system that has some things? And so they might get together just within Facebook and one night, just all night, we're just going to sit there and bash out the best way to do an instant gotcha. messaging system in mm-hmm. there and all the programmers that just compete and just smash on their keyboards and <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll pretend it's like they see in the movies where they just sort of... <laughs> flap their hands on keyboards right. and something gets done. Right. Then I think companies started to realize this. They started holding hackathons for problems they had, really more for cheap labor. Mm. Because I can get all these programs together, throw them a little $20,000 thing. Free. I don't have to do R&D. Right, exactly. Right? And that's really what it is. So we want to do some hackathons and sort of put it back to... If if companies are going to benefit, which they will, we want to make sure at need communities benefit as well. So right, any hackathons right. we do, yes. we'll take snaps. Yeah. We haven't done any snaps this episode. <laughs> snaps. So we'll take a problem that, uh, let's say you take a problem that DTEs may be having, right, and servicing customers, and we'll find an area. Uh, maybe a low income or a hard to access or hard to repair mm-hmm. um, area and figure out, all right, let's have a hackathon and figure out how do we solve this problem for these people. Right. right? Awesome. That and is that amazing. way that can also get plugged and played everywhere, but it instantly solves these people's problem. Exactly. Right. Like maybe an area of Detroit where the population density isn't very high, right. but they still need to be served just as anybody else. Exactly. exactly. 
you had used the example of DTE and, and right. you know, just as a possibility of a way that a hackathon could help them. You're, you know, you said you hadn't held one yet, but you had held the Pitch Fest. What were some of the takeaways you got from the Pitch Fest? How did that even, you know, how did that go? And what are some of your upcoming events? Yeah. Um, whew, pitch Fest. <laughs> Um, Which I had the opportunity to attend. By I know, unfortunately, right. I was out of town. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. well, but I heard it was amazing, it was and amazing. a lot of people it were was there. Amazing. It was. We had uh, someplace around 220 or so people show That's up. That's amazing. Yeah. We were we were going to be house. happy with about 150, 170. Wow. But it was standing room only. Yeah. Um, that came about from our one of our corporate par- partners, Yodley. They want us to. They want some events held there. They're interested in the blockchain space, and they support us in doing events um, every few months, you know, and that's it. They're like, here's some money. Just throw some Which events that are connected right. to fintech. Thank right? you. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah, take the money. That company. Thank you. They're, Funding they're is always partner. amazing. Right. Um, they were our first partner, and they they continue to be our partner. And, you know, I got my Yodley gear Oh, on. nice. nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we are like, what's an event we can do? And, you know, Detroit Blockchain Center has really four ultimate goals, which is education for, like, you know, regular people so they can get on, um, community outreach. So we're, like, building this, one of the things we're building, this mesh net and stuff, internet right. access right. program. Um, a very small part, it's an, a very important piece, but it's a very small part, is um, legislation we want to help right. guide mm, legislation yeah. and, and more likely prevent it until the legislators more, know more before they <laughs> right. start doing Amen legislation. Hello. <laughs> um, Hello. But then as a business resource center, right? That's okay. something we take very serious because that's you can't teach people about something that doesn't exist. And right, so, like until the businesses right. bring so it on. So right. we're, we're building a pipeline so no matter what phase you are in development as a company, whether you're already received like some seed funding and you know you maybe you've got 6 million dollars and you have a product working but you need that next level or whether you're just somebody who's got a really good idea but you don't have the technical know-how or you got the technical know-how but you don't have the business or marketing right. expertise right we want to have a pipeline so we can take any phase and boost you all the way through. That's right. so necessary wow. and amazing that it's here in Detroit. Especially yeah. that it's here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I mean well, we're using word of Detroit Blockchain Center. We're not just we don't just have that name, and we do we work with people anywhere, but everything we do has to have some kind of connection back to Detroit um, because it's Detroit. But every city that's trying to vouch for we should be the city, I don't think has as strong as argument as Detroit does. You know, New York has the financial sector, the mm-hmm. like the world's biggest financial sector. So I see where the finance part came from from New York, and Silicon Valley has the devs. It's like home of the devs, right? right? <laughs> so I get why you would develop stuff there, but at the end of the day, where are you going to use it? Right. And there's, mm. every city says there's no better place than my city, but Detroit actually has, because of the auto history, mm-hmm. we have a supply chain infrastructure. Right. We have a medical wow. system infrastructure. Yep. We have a financial infrastructure. We're an international border. We have the busiest international border in North America, right? Wow, um, yeah. right here. So, from identity to supply chain to healthcare to you name it, there is an actual use case here in Detroit. Yeah, right. for and sure. And that's why it's important to us that Metro Detroit is a strong hub for all of this. And that's right. what the pitch Woo. fest was for. Snaps um, yes. was to showcase 
we brought in some national companies, but we also brought in some a lot of um, local companies right. to show that not only amongst Detroit companies do we have talent, but if you line it up with people across you know the country, mm-hmm. we still have some top talent. Yeah, right? and that was the idea of the pitch fest. Let's show people what we can do, and this is uh, DBC's first big event, um, and we've. You know, we were born out of the idea of doing a major international conference, hmm. and this was sort of our proof of concept okay. to show okay. people this is what we did with you know Adam, who's our policy director. Right. He really put this together. Right. Um, he did a, most of the core work to make right. this happen, and uh, it was like thirty or forty-five days from the day we sat down and were like, "All right, let's do this." Okay. And thirty to forty-five. In 30 nice. to 45 to days, put together it went from that? let's do this to what you witnessed. Wow. And That's so amazing. if we decided to do a conference nine, ten months out, imagine what we could get done. Exactly. So For it exceeded sure. your expectations. It, it exceeded everybody's, like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, me going in, I just wanted to learn. I wanted to hear. She was, like, blowing me up while I was in the oh. airport or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many people here. This is yes. so incredible. Like, and this, really is, this is, like almost peak bear market, right? This is February of the past year. We're still, Bitcoin a, a few weeks before had just gone from 6000 to 3000 Exactly. So yeah. at this point, it has gone to the bottom right. so far. So this is when nobody should be interested in right. this stuff. And we right. had a standing room only event. That's in so Midtown great. Detroit. In Midtown. Not talking yeah. once about speculative price. Exactly. Yeah, like this that's wasn't true. a how do you get rich doing this? Right. Lambo, Lambo, you Lambo. Build a business, <laughs> right? Yeah, this is all about like developing, building. That's so great. Do yeah. you guys have a physical space? Yeah. Um, we're working on a physical space, and it looks like we'll have one within the next 30 days or so. Awesome. So, okay. announcement will be coming soon. Oh, nice. When that happens. But cool. Yeah. And, and maybe even when we publish this, if you already have it, you know, we'll, we'll add the address and all the information okay. on yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so in terms of team, though, it's you and. Primarily, it's me and Adam, which is our again the, um, our policy director. Um, we have a board, which is my company sits on the board. EOS Detroit sits on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, Total sits on the board, which is a local company. Okay. And uh, Kazology, which is another local company down here, right they're right across the street. Okay. Sort of. Um, all blockchain related companies. Um, we're the founding members, so. Um, a member from each company sits on the board of directors, and then me and Adam are sort of the day-to-day right, right now. And then members from each of our company's teams sort of help out, like, again, to give kudos on the pitch fest. Right. Adam spearheaded it, and EOS Detroit came in, and, like, they were helping us work the door. They helped us do setup. Sometimes you just yeah. need volunteers like, and bodies. Really and yeah, they were, That's awesome. They were that. That's amazing. Yeah. Cool. So tell us a little bit about membership. And with Detroit Blockchain Center and what okay. that looks like. So an important aspect, can I give you a quick history of DBC? Please. Absolutely. Because uh, it's, it's sort of important to the membership aspect. Yeah. So, again, it's, it spawned with me going to a couple of the meetups back in 2017 and getting to start to meet some of the people instead of just being in my own little right, space. Right, And I talked with uh, Drew, who is one of the founders of uh, Michigan Bitcoiners, Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and he's one of the original. There's like five original, real Bitcoin community people here. Okay. Um, he was one of them. And we were talking. I was like, man, y'all, 
y'all should do a conference or something. He's like, yeah, we did one like in 2014 or 2013. Oh my God. Wow. Do they have photos from that? Like you even wonder what Um, that looked like back then. Right. Well, it looked like. Demographic wise. It looked like. I think a giant meetup because I think they had a couple hundred people come. Okay, it was 2013, wow. 2014. That's not which bad. Was still good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, we still had, had the reach of the internet at that point. It yeah. wasn't right. like. Exactly. But like this is people don't know how much of a history Detroit just shouldn't be a blockchain hub. It has been like they used to get Andreas to come out. Andreas, they got pictures on the meetup where Andreas would just show up to the local meetups. What? Right, right around the corner here. Wow. That's great. Uh, uh, um, Tell so, our listeners who Andreas. Yeah. yeah. I, um, so Andreas is like the the Bitcoin and now Bitcoin slash Ethereum Oracle. Yeah. So if you really want to learn and nobody else is doing it for you, you just go to uh, Anatop. I think he he goes mm-hmm. he goes by on all social uh, A A N T O P. Google that and you'll you'll find you'll it. find him. Um, and just start listening, and he'll tell you why. Uh, censorship resistant money is important all the way up to why uh, his last speak speech that I heard which is can't versus won't um, mm. which is important for the governance mm-hmm. how, how these so look up Anatop but he used to come up to these events so I was like y'all should throw another conference and he was like yeah and I could see in the gleam of eye he wasn't going to do it I was like well it takes a lot of sw- it does logistics and, logistics and all types yeah. of things and I'm, I've always been the type I've been you know, generally self-employed since 1999. For the most part, I've always had my own kind of businesses. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, screw it. I'll do it. And so hey, I started wow. asking around hey, and doing stuff. Right. And okay. then Why not? You can't find the answer, you make it. Right. <laughs> and so as I was planning for that and I was, things were going along, there was another guy, um, Agby from Kazology, who's now one of our founding members. Mm-hmm. He was planning on doing a conference at the same time. So... Somebody told us about each other, said we should meet. We should meet to see if we could uh, join together. We couldn't. We had two totally separate visions, but mm. that made us both sort of think, um, like, all right, we're not going to do a conference together. Right. But then I started thinking, like, well, why should it be up to me what a decentralized community tool like Bitcoin or blockchain should look like? Why just me? So I was like, let me build a business consortium. So first it was Detroit um, Blockchain Consortium. And we were going to bring together blockchain companies and social advocates and like whatnot. consulting kind of? Um, yeah, to sort of oversee blockchain activities within the city. Cool. But it was mm-hmm. going to be a private thing. Yeah. And then I was like, again, how can you do that while at the same time talking about peer-to-peer, public, transparent, open source? Right. And we have this <laughs> private consortium. Just Listen to the word consortium. <laughs> Does right. that sound open source to you? All right, not at all. So I was like, maybe we should like work under a nonprofit, but then that was difficult. So I was like, fuck it, let's just be a nonprofit. Um, and let's be a 501c3 nonprofit. So that way we have all these strict guidelines we have to follow through. If people want to donate and do things, they can be there. And then looking into the 501c3 aspect, it's like you have two options. You can be a pr- sort of a board run, right. a member run. Right. right. And so, of course, we were going with the board run, and I was like, what Once kind again, of <laughs> centralization. Yeah, just, I gotta live that what kinda, I speak, right? Right. So we are a membership run organization. I see. Right? I see. And that's why I had to give that backstory. It gets sort of where we're at. Right. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. So we're a membership run organization. We have different tiers of membership from free 
which just gives you sort of access to things that right. are happening all the way up to what we call a board voting member who gets to select the actual board. Right now, the founding members are the board, but we can be voted out mm-hmm. and we can other new people can be voted in. Same thing with me so as an executive director. The board picks the, the, the leadership of the corporation, the organization. So it's now not ours. We started this, but it's not ours. Right. right? And so members, we look to our members to come join, become members, show up to our membership meetings, vote on things from how our bylaws, we have bylaws on the website, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. members get to go through and we have a system. So um, I'm sure you're familiar with like Genius. Mm -hmm. So we use like a Genius type system where they can talk about certain sections so people can upvote, downvote, members can decide. We have these conversations, the popular ones that get voted by the members come up for discussion and vote all right we should change this we shouldn't right initiatives we do we want to really want to be a membership run organization eventually once we get the uh, manpower we'll move over to a a, a DAO or a DAC mm-hmm. um, a decentralized governance system right mm-hmm. so all our members will be strictly through the blockchain and everything will be totally you know transparency we want to be very transparent and everyone to know what we're doing we'll be publishing like all our finance stuff we'll do everything so yeah we we are we're not Detroit Blockchain Center. Y'all are Detroit Blockchain Center. I love that. <laughs> are there any organizations right now that are that are involved that are getting to that point? I know you said EOS is working with you, but EOS uh, Detroit. Yeah, yeah, EOS Detroit. Says, how do you see Detroit using the blockchain, not just to maybe help like automotive supply chain and those kind of areas, but just the citizens in the neighborhoods. The people here. Because the mesh network is something that both you, Ingrid, and myself have talked about. Like, right. You can't expect a city to, you know, move forward in technology and, and have, you know, kids that are able to do hackathons and have this kind of technology without just basic internet mesh. Exactly. Right? So that's, I know, one um, area, but. So as, as the business resource part is a very important part, Education is very important, and the other big important part is our community outreach. Right. And we're working very closely with EOS Detroit to build a local economy, right? The the mesh network, and for those who don't know what a mesh network is, just imagine if you didn't have to depend just on Comcast. Right now, Comcast or AT&T or Verizon yep. or pipes mm-hmm. Internet directly into your house. Imagine you could take your Internet and help your neighbor who doesn't have access or doesn't have access to high-speed internet, you could help them out. And for doing so, you would be incentivized by making money. You would get paid for doing this, right? Right. And that money could, you'd go for anything, but essentially it would go for help and pay you for your internet. Right. So eventually you would get free internet because it would be a zero-sum game, Mm -hmm. right? Just for helping your neighbors get on and get access to high-speed internet because it's important. You can't even do a fill-out. You can't go into a store. I I have children. Mm-hmm. all working age children they can't get jobs unless they have access to an online app, application right. exactly. you can't walk in and get an app they just tell you burger king will tell you go online right, right. <laughs> like what i'm standing right here well and that's why right. some stores like target and meyer have mm-hmm. ha- they have actual like a, a pc or a, a lap, computer, you know, computer yeah. there at the store to yeah, help which which is nice, but it's also like, can we then help solve the problem about why all your neighbors that are coming in yeah. to apply can't access the internet? Right, exactly. that's not really solving that problem. And so this is our this is our proof of concept, and this is not a we're going to do an incentivized network, uh, incentivized mesh net. There's already a mesh net happening in Detroit, right, with EII and some Southwest mm-hmm. and North End and yeah, uh, yeah, Island just, View, yeah, yeah, Island mm-hmm. View, yeah. Um, 
but they're not incentivized. So we just right. want to add on to the incentivized. We're trying to work with them. We're in discussions with working with them. Okay. Because um, then you're going to go to Highland Park, and then you're going to come up to my neighborhood, right. Dale Farms. Exactly. Yeah. And my little community garden and park is going to be a hot spot. That's for all right. The well, that's what, that's what we're working on. <laughs> but it's not just for the internet. So the bigger goal, this is our proof of concept to show that you can have a, a local currency piped through and supply yes. internet. Right. But once we show that happening, and again, it's, that's not even necessarily a proof of case because we work with Althea, who developed the core software that we're going to be using. Okay. And then um, EOC Trade is building the sell- settlement layer and some other I aspects see. on top of it. Um, they already have, Althea already has working networks going on through Colorado right. and mm. South America and mm-hmm. Colombia. Is this, um, do they have like their own uh, token for that? No. No. This is why I like them. Okay. They're okay. also okay. token agnostic. Now they're building their network using um, right now Ethereum-based things. Okay, okay. Um, we're building using EOS, but we're working with them. So essentially when a community wants to come online using the same core, they'll have an option. Right. Because we believe in choice. I'm not going to force you to use Ethereum. I'm not going to force you to e- EOS. Okay. So we're working with them on building sort of the EOS side adoption while they're right. working on the Ethereum side adoption. Cool. But eventually we want to have a true community currency. And so not only can you use this currency to pay for your internet, you can go to the grocery store and buy groceries with it. Right. That's right? awesome. That's um, amazing. And it incentivizes you to keep money in your neighborhood because if yeah. once you start, yes, once you start the researching money uh, economic Right. Balances, you know, like in the black community, I think it's something like 1.3 seconds is how long a dollar stays in our hands. Wow. Versus Ouch. you go to yeah. um, suburban communities and not just white, right? Like you go to a lot of these other ethnic, you go to Dearborn, which mm-hmm. has a high um, Middle Eastern mm-hmm. population. You go anywhere and that like 1.5 seconds, I could be off on this number if somebody like facts checks this, but sure. it's pretty close to like right. 1.5 seconds, right? Now you're talking about like ten minutes for these communities. Wow. Some communities yeah. might be three or four days. Difference. And this is why they're able to it goes around this community, builds yeah, the you're community supporting up your own before right. it leaves. Right. 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 Um I heard a word yesterday uh well the other day when I was at the conference called self gentrification. Yeah. Where wow. you improve your neighborhood by your neighbors for your neighbors. Yeah. Right. You know, like Right. And, and I don't think I've ever keeping, heard that yeah. before. <laughs> Self gentrification, right? And doing that, one of the biggest ways you can do that is keeping the dollar in your keeping neighborhood. Yeah. And so that's really what we're trying to build. Is right. a, uh, we call it right now? We're calling it with Detroit. Oh, I, like oh, it. I love it, Detroit. <laughs> decentralized autonomous community in Detroit, and this will be the model where once we're done, you can plug and play. You can take it out of Detroit. You can do you have a name for your for the token yet? No. Hmm. So we're open to suggestions. You can go ahead and join our, uh, we have a lot of working committees. I it's not it. just three <laughs> people working on this. We have a, a massive team working on this project. No, I'll leaders, be honest. I, I have my so. hands in so many different things. Right. So what's one more? Uh, no, but I need <laughs> no, it. No, seriously. But I'm kind of like, I need <laughs> exactly. to get more involved exactly. with, with, your, with your center. Yeah, for you sure. Do. For sure. Um, but I think we've covered a lot of things today. And thank you so much yeah. for your time. Not and thank problem. you for coming down Absolutely. and being on uh, Ladies of Crypto. We, uh, we finish every episode with uh, a, a few music questions because uh, myself as a DJ, I put some mixes on it. I also get guest mixes. Are you still DJing? Yeah. No, I haven't DJed in a very long time. So wow. Vinyl was still being used. Well, hey, I've put some vinyl mixes on, on here. I mean, mm-hmm. 
it's it's going through all my old records and pulling them yeah. out. But I have a couple I have a couple sets set up for when I do vinyl nights because not every night has right. CDJs or Serato or whatever. But mm-hmm. anyway, so um, basically, like you have a guest coming in from out of town, they've never been to Detroit before. You're downtown. You want to show them like that one CD or that one song, that one mm-hmm. artist that really represents Detroit to you. What are you playing them? To me? Yeah. Oh, this is gonna be a biased answer. It's fine. That's fine. That's the whole point. It's an artist I used to work with. So I think people, when we were working, so like when Mary J had the, let's get it crunk up. Dancery. Yeah, dancery. (laughs) So the only version 105 would play was the version we made with D-Gun on it. Oh really? Oh wow! He was the artist on it, and we almost I had that like being I the national. I remember that. If you if yeah. you remember the song, because it got was played the a lot here. That's like straight up <laughs> hustle <laughs> right. music in right. the D. <laughs> and that was the only version they played. Cool. They didn't play the regular version when the remix came out. They didn't play the remix. They only played our version. Nice. Um, but he's the epitome of Detroit. He's not a West Side, East Side. He's an All Sider. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but he's he's. We'll have to Detroit put a link to, to like one yeah, of his for songs sure, for on sure. our in our uh, in our description nice. for you guys. Good answer. All right, what's the best live show you've ever seen? <sighs> the best live show, <laughs> the best one was. God, I'm aging myself here. But it's okay. It's We've done that really a few times. This was when <laughs> okay. I went to. No it was judgment. a two live crew show, and this is how old. This is how, right. this is how I'm aging myself. Jay Z was the opening act nice. for <laughs> Fat Joe, who was the opening act for Two Live Crew. Nice. Wow. This is how old. Is this ago East Coast? This had to be East Coast. Yeah, I was, I'm East from Coast. Syracuse, so this is uh, back right. in Syracuse. And I say it was the best show, not because of Two Live Crew, <laughs> not because of Fat Joe. It was when Jay Z got on stage first. And he's not, if you ever saw him, I, I haven't been to a Jay Z show in forever, but. Yeah. He got on stage and like he walked to one spot on the stage and stayed there for like eight minutes and walked across the other spot. He was really oh, shy. The, like, he was yeah. really shy. He's not of his one career. of those performers. No, yeah. he's, he's but still he kind of captured not. everybody's attention. Wow. Like I wasn't even up on him, right? Wow. Like I've heard of him, but he wasn't right. like my favorite artist. He just had uh like Dead Prez back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, all right, I'm up, but it wasn't a classic album yet. Right, right. And it's like, damn, dude got. Skill because he ain't doing nothing, <laughs> and he's got me captivated. I'm not even he a had great beats back then, too. His yeah, first couple albums had some pretty yeah, and I'm not a lyric person, right? I listen to music, I, I started as a producer, so yeah. I hear music as a whole. When I hear mm-hmm. an artist, I hear the music, uh, the production musicality first, of it. Yeah. I hear well, not just the production first, I hear their voice as an instrument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm not thinking about what they're saying, I'm thinking about how it goes with the song, right? Right, and then my second or third listen, I start getting into the lyrics, right? Right, but you gotta capture me just as a musical production first, sure. Word. Awesome, okay. So, the typical, um, you know, stranded island story of having you know the mm-hmm. 10, 10 albums that you take with you that you apparently have to listen to for the rest of your life we're not going <laughs> to ask you about all 10 of those all albums right, thank you but yeah, I was like, um, uh, what what's one that would be in yours that might might surprise somebody or might kind of catch you off guard album or song album album you can take oh. the whole album with 10 it. albums and one of those needs to like at least oh, one wow, probably would surprise so many you options i'm used to the one song 
Stuck. Oh, an album. Who do I listen to? Who said uh, that's a question? Ten songs for the rest yeah. of your life? Oh god. I would That's terrible. Yeah. At least at least <laughs> albums you have like, you know, ten times at least fifteen tracks. Like maybe you can yeah, you right. get through a week before you start going nuts. And then it you sit be, in silence. It would be one of the one of the mixtapes I ended up growing up off of. I don't know if there was an actual artist album. That's hard. Do you remember the name of the mixtape? Like, do you have anything like, even like left to center that would surprise somebody, or you could put our uh, listeners up on? This is this, this is the is catchy question. Right, I, apparently, I, I'm, I'm glad we came up. I advance. know. <laughs> no, that, I like <laughs> I like it better not having them in advance because it's kind of oh. funny watching everyone sweat like, a little bit. Ooh, I don't know. Well, but I will say this: when you come from a music background, I feel like it is maybe a little hard. I mean, not to take anything off, but right. because you've heard so much stuff, or you probably right. have like right. a very big library, right? Right. Yeah, that's why it's hard to sort of pin down and remember what songs are on which albums. Uh. And I always used to love compilation albums so much. Even the, like if I can't remember all the songs that were on. If I had to pick one that just got me through the years, I had this cassette that was like best of the '60s, and they had everybody from like the Penguins to oh man, That's uh, like, this is a good one. Wow, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying Penguins. to remember all the records on it. Penguins, some Temptations. Was it more R&B based or more yeah, like, like surfer rock kind of? It was like R&B with some some rock, but the rock wasn't like for the 60s. Yeah, for the 60s, right, right, right. Do you ever get right, up right. to like the Motor City stomp, like Soul Stomp with Brad no. Hales and those guys? Nope, not until you just put me up on it. So. Brad Hales yeah. is a, a dear friend who uh, owns People's Records, one of uh-huh. the um, amazing record store here yeah. uh, in, on Gratiot in Eastern Market. Yep. Uh, but he, um, him and a couple other guys do, uh, it's, it's free at Marble Bar, and it's called the Soul Stomp, and they pull out records that you're like, where what? did you even get this? Oh, like, yeah. they're incredible. And it's all, it's really great. Old, like, deep Motown stuff all the way to, like, stuff people would more recognize and hear. Yeah. So it's pretty great. Okay, final question. Uh, what was the last song you were listening to, song or radio station, whatever you were listening to right before you came into this building? Sounds so self-serving here. There's <laughs> another artist I, uh, I would work with called Self Me I. This is fine. This isn't self-serving. You're putting people up on probably good good music. I I was listening to uh, some of his stuff. He's an artist who, before the Macklemore's and the Logics and Mm -hmm. sort of the Mm -hmm. cross. Yeah. um, uh This is the tip he was already on. Um, Coming from Detroit, ended up moving out to the suburbs, living sort of the urban suburban life, which Mm -hmm. is actually the title of one of his songs. Um, is there an album that we could he's got find? A few albums. His first one was uh, well, self self um, titled is his first album, okay. which is what we consider the classic. So you can go find there, and then once you find that, you can find he he moved from a solo artist to being a group. Hmm. Interesting. Usually, it's the okay, other way yeah, yeah, it usually nope. is uh, for sure. He went from being a solo artist. Um, he kept the name Self Mei, but the group also had Self Mei, and he added. Um, Young lady to the group and Dope. our Filipino R and B guitar playing guy. Well, before there was a Bruno Mars type, or well before there was anybody. <laughs> I else. Like that. I like that Detroit could fit somebody in that box. Yeah, you just say it. I like the Filipino the guitar player, player guy. just like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, he had um, Annie and Emmanuel. Uh, Annie. Um, so self me I, 
self-titled. Look that up. When you find that, you'll find links to other songs um, that he had with the group. Yeah, I mean, nice. usually once you get the artist at wherever you yeah. listen to your music, it he usually was pretty good. Like, everything. Uh, Hard Rock's yeah. probably closed down now, I think. It start, yeah, I think down. it just did, yeah. Really? But he was one of the first. They used to do local <laughs> She just groups. told me that Drive Detroit just shut down, too, because yeah, their rent, they were, they were their rent, their rent in, went through the right roof. Right downstairs in the Penobscot building. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to miss Hard Rock that bad. But, yeah. You're yeah. Just, but we used to do a lot of performances yeah. there. We got to the point. They used to do like a local artist thing. Yeah. You would come in, and they'd split the door with you. And uh, he was one of the only groups, especially on the hip hop side, right? Because uh, we had a live band and everything. He would go in, and uh, they just started paying him to show up. Like, oh, every dope! Couple months. Nice. Like, just come. Here's money. Just come because we know you packed the house. Cool. Dope. So yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for yes. entertaining us with all thank that you and, so and much. putting us up on some on some good Detroit Amazing stuff and stuff. people that you've worked with. Um, yeah, is, do you sure. have any other events? Uh, I, I know. Um, any specific event that you'd like our listeners to know about? Um, yeah. No, just go to DetroitBlockchainCenter.org. Mm-hmm. Um, sign up. We'd love for you to become a member, uh, but you don't have to. Uh, just sign up and say you want to be up on the, on the information. We'll put you on the mailing list. We do have a bunch of stuff that's coming up like over in the next like 30 to 60 days. Okay. But we haven't set confirmed dates and locations right. yeah so there's probably like yeah. a newsletter or that yeah, you guys have news on your website right yeah we'll have well we'll have a regular news feed and we'll be sending out newsletter you'll be part of the news blast cool so. awesome. cool all right well thank awesome. you again and thank you. thanks for coming up yes, Nate Talbot thank from you. Detroit Blockchain Center yes thank you so much all right and that's episode three for Ladies Love Crypto I'm your host DJ Skis and Dr. Gabriel Always giving a special shout out to DJ Dez Andres on the beat. Mags, we love you. This mix is my favorite genre to get into. Dancing at your desk, in your car, in the streets. Uh, This is a lot of my favorite musicians, my favorite producers. Brand new music from Jamila Woods, Lady Monix, Wajid. DJ Dez, Charles Trees, Portage Garage Sounds. I'll put some links in the in the description for you all so that you can check out some of these new artists. And I hope you enjoy this mix. Peace. Young, but I 
revolution, 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 revolution. Revolution, 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 revolution